0: That small of American town, right, Dormson? But you've been certainly looking into a heart of somewhere that is dark and weird. And I'd argue anywhere named at Columbus is a pretty good, perhaps Egregore is in the right term, but pretty good representative for the American psyche as a whole. You may disagree with me on that. You've done more of this research than I have. Well, I think
1: you're right, but it has layers that you wouldn't expect. Um, Secrets upon secrets going beyond America. Um, Well, not beyond... um, Well, Columbus was Italian. Uh, Columbo, I think his name was. Um, My favorite TV detective, Christopher Columbus. Exactly. Columbus, Ohio. uh, Once again, we have noticed an uptick in attention um, on our uh, podcast statistics. And once again, we're investigating the possibility of an occult underground or forces within an occult underground in the city of Columbus, Ohio, paying close attention to our activities and therefore looking straight back at them and investigating them in turn. And i found even more stuff, um, I think, than the city of Coatesville. Um, Columbus, Ohio is quite a hot spot for symbolic shenanigans. The forces monitoring us are on the move, and
0: they're always setting up somewhere strange and cruel. Well, it could
1: be the same force, but I think it's oh, it might be a different group. Uh, we're just, we're just, we're getting out there, we're getting out there, the, um, uh, the word is spreading. There's probably a lot of government agencies following
0: us, including some of which we don't even know.
1: From countries that only half exist, or only
0: exist Other on space times, countries, other timeline countries, all sorts. Yeah, there's lots of exiled governments. No, yeah, lots of, uh, governments exiled from our timeline, and, uh, in some cases from our species entirely. Species is overrated. Need I remind you of Reptile Lithuania? Well actually there's some people that believe that Lithuanians were descended from birds. Uh, but it's 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 controversial. That definitely checks out. When you think about it, the line between reptile and bird is quite thin. They both have scaly legs, both have both have snouts, <laughs> fond of eating bugs. <laughs> Admittedly, I was about to say, just like
1: Lithuanians, and I'm like, wait, why, 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 have, we, why have we adopted this prejudice? I have nothing against the Lithuanian people.
0: <laughs> well, speak for yourself on that, Tormson. I won't get into it. I have strong opinions on Lithuanians. They have done me hard and done me cruel for too long. And perhaps it's an unfair bigotry, but I think it's an understandable one. It's the Latvians you have to watch out
1: for, in
0: my opinion. See, I'm fine with Latvians. Latvians are a beautiful people. They don't eat bugs at all, nor do they have scaly legs. Regardless of our idiosyncratic prejudices, we are here to talk about a city town is it more of a city would you say columbus ohio is definitely within city territory city territory
1: oh totally it's city it's the biggest it's the urban area in ohio or Ohio. okay, higher, okay
0: but i don't think of that as a very high bar is it the capital of ohio i think it is yes i believe it is for specific reasons right. that that is the sort of name you'd give to a capital city that you're building specifically for that purpose i don't totally get it you know those Amer- those foundational american names but you have gone into one of your Manic Delves again, and I am, as always, interested in seeing what you've dug up. Where do you want to start here, my friend? Well,
1: that's a very good uh, lead-in to the story of Columbus, Ohio. Now, Columbus, Ohio, the story of the city of Columbus, Ohio begins 2,000 years ago. During the heyday of the Adena culture. Now, the Adena were one of these copper using mound building civilizations of North America that don't get anywhere near as much attention as they should. Uh, but they were centered in, in Ohio, extended into nearby states, and it was a heavily populated region. They were pretty dope. I was reading to the
0: mound builders of it recently. And, well, more like the history, I guess the historiography of the mound builders. Because, you know, I'd been rereading some H.P. Lovecraft and Robert E. Howard recently. And the fun thing there is, in the early 20th century, they thought the mound builders were white because oh, they, I they, thought, was, they thought oh everyone, yeah, they thought the people that built yes. like Great Zimbabwe were white. They were like
1: oh look at this look at Machu Picchu it must have been like like lost Norsemen. There's no way that these people yes. could have, like it was that's yes. just standard. No. And, now, and now and now it's aliens because now it can't it can't be like lost Aryans. Now it's aliens instead. No
0: way it's like oh look at these megaliths, look at this impressive and large scale architecture. There's no way that black or brown people could have done this. Impossible. Impossible. Aliens. Aliens are a lost civilization of extremely white people.
1: Obviously. But no, tell me about these mound builders. The thing about using that term mound builders is it covers a lot of different people. Because you could call the Mississippian civilization mound builders as well. But these these guys weren't part of the Mississippian cultural complex. They were... Uh, more northern than that. The Adena were the oldest in Ohio, I believe, um, and they built mounds for deceased of note, um, like local big man old chiefs or whatever, however it was. Same principle as barrows, yeah, right? Exactly. Barrow's yeah. we the the Norse, yeah. Yeah, the Norse did it, Scythians did it, ancient Koreans did it, uh, Egyptians. Like, what is a pyramid if not a burial mound persevering? Well, it's just like okay, hey, we can't. Uh, sand doesn't
0: make good for rather permanent burial places. Let's uh, build some out of sand and limestone. And I think didn't the um, didn't early Chinese dynasties also do mound building?
1: Yep, yep, yep. They did all, right. um, all the way up to like semi-pyramidal type structures. Uh, Indonesia as well, I believe. Um, yeah, mounds was a pretty common thing because it's a pretty good way to like build a. Building that's like a to- a tomb or whatever.
0: Yeah, it's just a big old pile of dirt built around yeah. a chamber. Fundamentally, I remember hearing about that because, um, yeah, that very famous uh, Chinese empress that was mummified in an extremely well-preserved way, where they could find out what her last meal was and stuff. Do you not know about this?
1: I haven't heard of- empress like uh, it was an empress, a so wife of the emperor, and not Wu Zetian, who was technically emperor. Was it someone else? Uh, Jin Zhu. Yeah, when they found her, her skin was still soft, which is crazy. Well, that's kind of cool. I'll look into this. Well, that's a little bit off the beaten track where we are. Yeah. Okay, uh, let's get let's back. Uh, ma- that's really great. <laughs> mounds. Uh, Point is, mounds. Cool. A lot of people did them. Yeah, exactly. You brought this up for a reason, so I'm going to have to see what what connection Shinjue has to Columbus, Ohio, because there must be one. Uh, now, there is one important mound around there now. And then Shrum Mound, um, which is like one of the big mounds. Uh, in, there was, it used to be a whole bunch of them. Most of them have, were destroyed or got knocked down or used. Uh, one of the remaining ones is Shrum Mound, which is named after the family who had a farm where it stood. And it was later given to Ohio Historical Society, which is a non-profit uh, now called Ohio History Connection. And it's a place you can go. It was built near to, like, it used to, there used to be like a limestone quarry there. And it's just surrounded by condos now. And it's, it's anyone in, in Columbus, it, it seems like a cool place to go and check out. But it is not the most important mound of Columbus, Ohio. Oh. The most important mound isn't there anymore. But what is there is a thoroughfare called Mound Street. Because... Interesting. There was a 40-foot... Tall mound that did exist there for many centuries. It's probably built uh, like 2000 years ago or uh, constructed 2000 years ago by the Adena. Um, and initially, when they were first settling the area around Columbus, um, they uh, simply built a road going around it because uh, it was particularly difficult to get rid of because it was covered in these massive oak trees. Now, in the 1820s, a local physician named Dr. Young built a house on the mound for a while, but the, by the ni- by the 1830s, the traffic was getting so heavy that they decided just to remove the mound, to get rid of it and have the, tra- the, the street going right through it, which is now called Mound Street. But what happened to the mound? The mound was made out of clay, and that clay ended up in the bricks of almost every initial building in the city, including this historic state house Twice, because oh, it built and burnt God. down in the 1850s, and they used more bricks made of the clay from the mound during Reconstruction. So let's recap. This is a city called Columbus, Ohio, and every like historic building from the founding built of the first white settlers was taken directly from a monument to an important person from an overlooked pre-Columbian civilization. Ooh, now that's, that's a that goddamn symbolism. What? That's bad juju, well, that's
0: some straight up, it's like you've taken the conceit for poltergeist and expanded it to an entire fucking city.
1: That would be the obvious thing, but it does make me wonder, uh, because that mound was not a mound to the society it's comically or on the, the culture. It's comically on yeah. the nose But the, the mound was not built In honour of that society It was not built In honour of the people It was built in honour Of a prominent individual Or a prominent family It was probably like A bunch of people, right? Probably Yeah So the, the idea is Like maybe it's not necessarily And also the people That built that Um Mound weren't the same people that were there later when the white settlers came in. The civilization had gone up and down a few times. So what if it wasn't necessarily like the standard sort of uh, Indian burial ground revenge thing, but there was some influence, but it was more specific. It was the influence of a long-dead, powerful family within the Adena civilization, which has now spread its influence throughout Columbus, Ohio. Ohio. Uh, And that, I think, is a little bit more interesting. Yeah. Oh, I agree, yeah, yeah, yeah rather the than strength. just Hungry
0: Ghost, yeah, agreed the, But I am curious So they've, ex- presumably to get all this Clay, they excavated the fuck Out of this mound, right? Yeah, what Happened to the corpses? What happened to the bodies? What happened to,
1: like, the tomb prophet? That, I can't find That, I can't find, they might not have been in there Um, the, some of the mound does Remain, and that might be it, but I don't know, like They got rid most of the mound was just clay Yeah, what happened to the bodies? That is a good question
0: um, what were these mound builders up to, other than building pretty damn cool
1: piles of dirt? The thing is, I've got a history of the. Uh, oh, well, we can back up a bit. Go back to the Adena. Um, I am curious about the Adena. Yes. Okay. Oh, there's uh, there's a few permutations uh, of this, which is quite good. Um, the area around uh, Columbus in a ca- higher country in a Ohio country was the center of the Adena people from. 800 BC to 100 AD, right, um, and they were followed by the Hopewell peoples who had moved in from New York State area and were dominant around 100 to 500 AD. Now these weren't like you know, necessarily like single, they weren't em- single empires or kingdoms or anything like that, they were us- usually more like uh, interrelated societies, with lots of trade routes, maybe something like a complex chiefdom, I think that's the word anthropologists mm. use for certain... Uh, like uh, setups like this. Um, but they did a lot of cool shit, geometric earthworks and like astronomy and crazy trade routes and cool Chalcolithic art stuff. And they had a lot of ruins and it was fairly dense, um, both the Adena and the Hopewell. Um, and the thing is, the Hopewell came in from outside, but like uh, for what I can gather, they their culture was a bit of like a mixture of what was already there and these new incomers, these new, yeah, uh, yeah incomers coming in. Um, which is interesting, and it's quite far back, really. But then there was the first Columbus, Ohio, Dark Age. The first. Um, oh, no. 500 to 1000 AD, most of the trade, the mound building, and art dried up. Um, it just ended, and the evidence shows that like what settlements remained, like either settlements dispersed, and they definitely stopped trading with each other, they either dispersed or started building uh, more like higher fortifications. They built more defensible communities. So like most of the towns wiped, got wiped out, except for those that, those that remained became, they castled up uh, in a way but it was mostly like
0: palisades and things like that and this was before the big smallpox epidemic that wiped out the oh this North was American before native population by a good few hundred years yeah so
1: a good few years what this was probably that the theories that i've found is um one thing could be temperature variations at the time um during the uh yeah yeah why would they be holding up then like why would they be setting up heavy
0: fortifications i guess other than just the lack of food causing the further, you know, further conflict.
1: This was a time, a period of time where the bow and arrow was becoming more commonly used uh, because the bow and arrow wasn't going, they didn't just use the bow and arrow all the way back. It did um, come in and it became more developed over time. And one theory is that the bow and arrow caused much more efficient hunting um, and it caused, you know, like over hunting. And because of the climate variation, some of the game animals moved away, they moved north where they couldn't do before. And basically it would have been one of those situations where the population over, like, goes over its um, resources that are available and collapsed. So it becomes like the remaining population is distrustful, post-apocalyptic, living in these fortified communities or just dispersed into the four winds. And that's already interesting.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's, you know, the probably go-to example that to... Uh you know a lot of our listeners would probably be you know fall of rome and then the yep. sort of uh, fortification and i mean you know the entire fucking feudal
1: system that rose out of that exactly and another example could be like easter island um how they did the over they um over felled the trees there and it caused the collapse of the 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 stone head building guys um there's also our civilization um there's, there's examples of the similar thing happening, but yeah, there's 500 year period of like not a complete wipeout, but a ve- very serious change in the tone of the, the cultures that lived around there. At yeah, the time. living conditions changed a lot. Sounds like so I think like Dark Age is probably the best term for it because it's very much like Fall of Rome, like post Fall of Rome. Yeah,
0: exactly. It sounds that that's pretty much textbook Dark Age, so it sounds definitely appropriate. But you
1: said that's the first. Ah. Yes, because in uh, after uh, one thousand a d up to about twelve hundred and fifty, uh, there was the emergence of the Fort Ancient culture. And this might have emerged and uh, became more complex thanks to the introduction of maize from Mexico via the Mississippians, um, maize changed the game in uh, North America when it got introduced because it was so easy to grow, um, so high in calories. It did have some problems in the fact that um, it. some areas, I know the Mississippians had problems with they planted too much maize and stopped planting some of the other crops that they had been using and ended up fucking up the soil. And that happened a few times, but I don't think it happened so much with the Fort ancients. Um, but it was a, a, a big burst of caloric energy. Um, so thanks Mexico um uh, for the delicious delicious corn. Um now these were not probably not the direct descendants of the hope. Well, again there might have been some admixture. I think they were like uh, Suan peoples uh moving in. Now, what I like about these dudes is that they had this um thing where they built these semi-permanent villages um with houses like these uh, wooden houses around a central plaza or mound. Um, and sometimes defended with a palisade, and they tended to move the village every couple of generations when things like local resources became too scant. They'd got they'd gone through the resources. Uh, so they'd move every couple of generations, which just makes me, like, it seems like an interesting lifestyle. Like, imagine they're boomers and zoomers. You know, like, you have one generation who's, like, moved from another place. And then you have, like, the middle, gen- the in-between generation who just stays there. And then their kids are the ones who have to move again. Like, the the the, the, the generational dynamic there is fascinating. It could, I, I would yeah, love to, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, there's no way to figure out what it would be like without a time machine. Run a UA game uh, among a tribe of Great Plains Indians in the 1300s. That's right, that's right. Well, that's the thing, um, when you bring out the Great Plains Indians, is because when you have the mental image of Great Plains Indians is very much what happened after these cultures were fucked yeah. over by disease and Europeans, like, and yeah. the introduction of the horse. Like, a lot of these peoples were living very different lifestyles before that. Um, the, the other one they have in law is more, more like tribes
0: standing to wipe them out or absor- forcefully absorb them.
1: Oh, that, that's important. That comes up right now, actually, because yeah, yeah. they traded a lot um, and interacted a lot with their neighbors, especially the Mississippians who were still sort of around and the Iroquois who would become very important mm. soon. Now, the sad thing is the height of their culture, where the most complexly densest population appears to have been uh, the period between 1450 and cif- 1750, but I think it was pretty early on, because by 1750 it was looking pretty grim. The area was under the rule of the Viceroyalty of New France from uh, 1663 until 1763, but the French didn't really give a shit about New France, really. <laughs> like they just wanted like, furs. Because there were lots of, um, there's been lots of discoveries of like European trade goods, like glass and and like co- and like um, steel and things like that in uh, what ancient like uh, sites. But no guns were found, have been found yet, and there's no evidence of like direct contact with Europeans, which is interesting because there was a lot of these guys. But there were stories of like French people coming there later and being like, "Wow, there's a lot of there's a lot of fucking dilapidated, recently abandoned villages around here." Mm. And where did those come from? Well, because the civilization um, kind of started to decline uh, towards the late of that period, due in large part to several waves of uh, smallpox and other Eurasian diseases, but also from um, after effects of the uh, Beaver Wars. Um, The period of time when uh, we had the Iroquois, who were supported by the English and the Dutch, versus pretty much everyone, like Algonquins and Hurons and and all sorts of people, all supported by the French. And the Iroquois were just, they were were beasts. They were really quite powerful. Um, And the thing is, the French didn't really, they've given up much for shit. But they had more allies, but the Iroquois were just, like, kicking ass out there. Um and according to one record I found, the, uh, most of the area ar- around the modern city of Columbus may have already been wiped out and um, pretty much depopulated by the 1660s because I found reference that the whole area had just been res- like turned into a hunting reserve for the Iroquois. And that is, I think, what I would call the second like dark age of Columbus, Ohio. Because Yeah, hunting it's a, it's reserve
0: is... P- Hunting reserve is pretty good code for it. we wiped out everyone living here before this and all that's left is the fauna. Exactly. And
1: it, it it's even more of a sort of a post apocalyptic sort of scenario then. Um uh, like if you had someone from like the say the fifteen hundreds or fourteen hundreds and 1500s in the uh Fort Ancient culture going to sleep, doing a Rip Van Winkle and waking up, it would be it would be insane. It would just be like it would be Basically, like every piece of um, post-apocalyptic fiction where someone from our time wakes up in a post-apocalyptic future, it would be, who, who are these people running around? What are they riding? Who are those people that are weirder and further away? It would have been bizarre. Well,
0: I mean, it's kind of like, you know, people in kind of that sort of situation coming across the ruins of San Francisco that have just been bombed all to exactly. hell. And they asked, yes. like, the nearby people, like, hey, what's this place for? Oh, we we just keep that place clear because there's nice fishing there. Yeah. But, you know, the, again, there's still the fucking ruins everywhere. They
1: were, and especially at the time because, like, they weren't building, like, crazy, like, stone structures and things. But there they were some fairly um, elaborate and complex villages. And they were found, they were just everywhere, like, left behind. And this area was, after the hunting preserve era, which was not that long... It became host to a lot of crazy violence. Um, Apparently, the area was invaded by Pennsylvanians in the 1740s, but they got kicked Uh, out by the French. Ah, those pesky Pennsylvanians! (laughs) Like reading about this era of history is so bizarre. Like, because it seems like it's like Pennsylvania is its own country. You know
0: what I mean? It's it's fun. I mean, in a sense, it kind of like I won't say it was its own country, but definitely was a lot more independent than many of the other 13 colonies and we've discussed we've discussed why you shouldn't trust pennsylvanians before on this very podcast so yeah i don't, I don't,
1: I don't want to go to pen the Penn republic or sylvania um nah, nah i would they're cool um anyway uh we got the 70s war which was fought around here fairly intensely but in finally in 1763 the area got given to the british empire to be ruled over by uh the king for all time nope American Revolution happens. And who is in charge of Ohio after the American Revolution? Uh, the area fell under the Virginia Military District, as the whole area was claimed, or most mm. of the area was claimed, by the state of Virginia, based on old claims. When um, that, that whole idea, there used to be those old maps where the states, like the uh, 13 colonies, were just like, we'll just, our, <laughs> our territory is just west as far oh, as we yeah, can yeah, go. Yeah. <laughs> I really yeah, want to yeah. see yeah. the timeline where America is just really stripey. I think it'll be a fun timeline, <laughs> 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 like literal, like a like Your American strips. flag. <laughs> you know, that would, be, that would be pretty great. So yeah, this whole area. The plan was um, that they didn't have enough that much enough money to pay all the veterans of the Revolutionary War. So they were like, okay, we're gonna parcel out some land um, in this place in um, Ohio wow. country for. All these veterans of the uh, Revolutionary War, and there was some fighting between the uh, incoming Americans and the British-aligned Native Americans who were living there. Um, specifically, the place around uh, the area around modern Columbus was actually set aside by Congress for settlement by rebel-aligned, American-aligned Canadians and Nova Scotians, t- which is weird. <laughs> hmm, but there you go. <laughs> it's a lot. There's a lot. I, I was surprised how many different people turned up in this you know. (laughs) Well first off I'm going to talk about how this worked. So Virginia soldiers of the Continental Line, uh, they were eligible to procure a bounty in the form of land according to a formula based on rank and time of service. They had to get a proper certificate and they get acquire a printed warrant from the land office in Virginia and then they'd go and they'd go and have their land. But the problem that um, they had was like in other parts of the country they had this public land survey system where there was land got divided into like regular townships but virginia had this system called meets and bounds where land boundaries were defined by natural features like trees and boulders and, and rivers and things like that oh that can't possibly go wrong yeah basically it ended up looking like a um a gerrymandered map uh, just all these irregularly shaped land claims that weren't clearly defined, so all the claimants just started fighting with each other. Um, not as not as much violence. That's not actually that
0: uncommon, especially if you're dealing with a um, with a group of people who isn't numerically literate, because they can't really define things based off distances. Mm. Um, I remember, but, um, basically Russian uh, farmers out in like rural areas before the period of liberalization, farming was actually collective. Largely because nobody knew, like, math well enough to really draw proper boundaries. So everyone ah, yes. just, animals kind of grazed together and just kind of, everyone worked off the same plots of land and just kind of working by rule of thumb rather than actually having, like, hard boundaries for different uh, plots by, owned by different families. And, yeah, they ran into that same problem a lot. There's a lot of violence among villages
1: because of that exact thing. So I was surprised to see how bloody a history Ohio had. Which it, now I think about it, it's not that surprising, but it's a lot—a lot of players involved. Now, in the first sort of settlement around the area, which will now known, which is now known as Columbus, Ohio, was this uh, frontier village settled by a young surveyor from Virginia named Lucas Sullivan. He set a permanent settlement in a uh, he called it Franklinton, which is now a suburb of uh, or an area of Columbus because he loved Benjamin Franklin so much. But it was in 1798 it was wiped out by a large flood. But then it had to be rebuilt, and this will become important a little bit later because this happens again. This all kind of comes to an end when Ohio becomes a state in 1803, and things kind of settle down a little bit. But why? Columbus. Why have the um, capital in Columbus? You ask. It's the same story as in Australia. In we have a capital called Canberra because Sydney and Melbourne could not f- just like were fighting over where the capital should be, so they built a new uh. one. Uh, and Ohio, um, they had Chillicothe. I don't know if I'm, I'm not saying this right. Zanesville, and they were looking at all these like they were looking at Worthington, Delaware, Dublin, and also Franklinton, and they were like, Nah, okay, we're just going to build a new city at the state center, near major transportation routes, the rivers, and that is where Columbus came from, named in honor of Christopher Columbus, who never even dreamed of Ohio and never landed in any area now administered by the United States. But still... Why
0: not? I mean, if you're going to name your city after something, I think a well-loved TV detective is not the worst choice. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Colombo, Ohio. That would be a great city. (laughs) Just one more thing. That's the town motto.
1: Now, it sort of grew slowly. Um, It was kind of shitty at the start. It was heavily forested. Flooding rivers caused malaria and cholera outbreaks but it slowly started to grow because it was in a pretty great location and they started to get some European immigrants coming in, Irish and Germans and things like that. Now, one thing I found that was cool, we're getting a a bit forward. So this is the time when they were taking down that mound and building bricks um, ahead of that. So this is where the, the, the seeds of what is to come get laid. All right. James Preston Poindexter. Uh, is that where the Poindexter came from? Don't know, Afraid. actually. Hope. I
0: don't think so. I've heard of a Poindexter, but I've never heard of Jason Poindexter.
1: James Preston Poindexter. Uh, he Dude, was a pretty cool guy. Yeah, he was an abolitionist, civil rights activist, politician, and Baptist nice, minister nice. from Columbus, Ohio. His father was white, and his mother was black and Cherokee. And from his pulpit, he preached against slavery and uh, and for Ameri- African-American rights and became quite involved in politics. But what caught my eye the most is his close interaction with a group known as... Well, first, his close interaction with the Underground Railroad and Ooh. his interaction oh, yeah. with a group called the Sons of Protection or American Sons of Protection, which was an African-American burial and benefit association also associated with the Underground Railroad. which not much like i couldn't find much information because they were quite secretive as you could expect um basically yep and i'm like this sounds like a very benevolent cabal kind of (laughs) Um, yeah and i like the name sons of protection is a, a pretty dope group name that
0: is a excellent cabal framework just using magic to help escape
1: slaves why the fuck not exactly and this sort of came back in a strange way, in a few years, but um, that was just an interesting uh, figure from uh, Columbus history, and there'll be a few to come up. But then there is an interesting turnaround when we get to Camp Chase. Have you ever heard All of right. this Camp Chase? I have heard of
0: nothing of this shit you keep bringing up, my man. I know. <laughs> Absolute jack
1: shit about Ohio. <laughs> well there we go. I'm the Ohio expert today. Um Camp Chase was a training ground or a prison camp established in eighteen sixty one on land lease from the US government in Columbus, Ohio. It was used as a prison camp, uh for POWs for from the Confederate armies. Um and 2,000 of them died, over 2,000 of them died uh, because it was basically a concentration camp and they died of starvation and cholera uh, and, and smallpox and diseases and then that forced the Union and the, and the, uh, the Confederates to agree to an ex- a prisoner exchange problem because the same thing was happening in the, uh, in the South as well. The just, just these insane concentration camps. And it was just some, a bit of weird irony there, sort of a strange sort of irony. Um, that it's a place where the Underground Railroad, but also this, I don't, yeah, like, the thing is that uh, Confederate soldiers are a, pr- a pretty classic case of the um, reliable bad guy in fiction. Yeah. But when it's, like, a bunch of, like, 17-year-olds, probably, or, like, just random yeah, farmers, all like, all stuck in, what's essentially a death camp. Yeah, then it's like, mm, And this does link into a very interesting figure who I will like to talk about later called the Lady in Grey. Uh, I think I have heard her. Put a pin in, in the Lady right. in Grey. Oh, Admittedly, yes. that's
0: just a very generic ghost name. It's, it's doubly appropriate in this case. Um, oh. Thanks oh, to the Confederate. Of course. Yeah, I just put those two together.
1: Okay, but what next? So, there's this camp. Well, the Civil War ended. Uh, everything you know, kept going. Columbus had some like, periods when it was just going fine. And 1880s come along, and Columbus became the, the world center of buggies. Columbus, buggy capital of the world. Um, they had the Columbus Buggy Company, um, There was which would um, boast that it could produce one buggy every eight minutes in its heyday. Impressive? Impressive. So like a horse like, and buggy it, buggy? Like yeah, a, a horse buggy, and buggy right? buggy. So yeah, this was a, it was like Detroit, but for buggies. But much like um, Blockbuster, they didn't see the Netflix rising in the distance or they didn't pay enough attention and automobiles came along and Henry Ford's methods I think what happened there is kind of like what
0: happened with Detroit just um deliberate engineering by automotive companies specifically destroyed (laughs) which would be which would be Henry Ford just just Henry Ford really (laughs) destroyed Columbus Ohio's impressive and
1: storied Buggy infrastructure for their own selfish ends now this is interesting because I've just something's just occurred to me about Henry Ford Henry Ford was fairly famous he was for this well, I know he's fairly famous but he liked to eat things that other people didn't like to eat he was a big fan of those kind of um edible weeds have you heard of this uh, I have not so Henry Ford I didn't know about he... Ford
0: as cars and anti-Semitism he was this
1: good friend of George Washington Carver about, and they talked about this a lot, but he was huh. kind of like the, the guy who invented Soylent, you know, like, like just wanting to get the most nutrients like, and just go about yeah. his work. So he got really into what were known as, which were considered weeds. And he always had like, other stuff in his pockets like raisins and peanuts and things like that. But he would eat things that were weeds, and they were perfectly edible things. But what has just occurred to me is a lot of those plants that were considered weeds um, that Henry Ford liked so much were crops that had been domesticated or eaten or were very much part of the pre-maize agricultural package of the mound builders. I hmm. think the Adena would have eaten. So if we if we're going to say something about the the spirits of Adena, of the Adena or the family influencing Henry Ford to destroy the buggy industry in Columbus, I mean I think oh we have a God. case. Oh God,
0: it's it's in the weeds. We're literally in, in the weeds. The
1: weeds. <laughs> That's right. That's right.
0: So it, it's, it, this is a It's all coming together. Does Ford have any further connections with Columbus, Ohio?
1: Uh not directly but he's mainly yeah mainly as a a destroyer of of their of their beloved a great destroyer uh, of buggies yep a uh, great destruction this caused a bunch of knock-on effects for the local economy because um they had a lot of steel works in the area no steel works iron works in the area because iron is fine for buggies making buggies out of iron no problem but these new fangled Those automobiles Well, yeah, exactly, but most of the automobiles were being made of steel, and Columbus didn't have, at the time, it didn't have much of a steel industry, so auto manufacturers went to Detroit and Cleveland instead. So that was the end of the the great period of the buggy, so history repeats itself. All right, so after the buggy heyday, what does Columbus, Ohio get up to? It becomes, there's a short period where it's known as Arch City. This is a period of time when, like, you have the, uh, the cities getting their, like, the nicknames like Philadelphia being the city of brotherly love and Minneapolis and St. Paul being the twin cities, things like that. At the time, Columbus was the arch city. And this all came down to a single event. Let me just check the year. 1888. Okay. There, was, there were more Union Army veterans in Ohio than any other state in the Union. And they belonged to a um, powerful veterans organization known as the Grand Army of the Republic, which is a pretty dope name. They decided to hold their sexi- se- uh, 22nd annual encampment. Or to hold convention. their sexy 22nd
0: annual. Oh, the, the 22nd is always the sexiest. It's true. The second sexiest number.
1: That's right. Uh, they decided to hold it in Columbus in 1888, and more than 250,000 people descended on the city. The city at the time had only 90,000 people. For but so two two hundred fifty thousand people came for ten days in September of eighteen eighty eight. Um, so as you can imagine, what the fuck do you do with all those people? They built giant tent cities. To enhance the security, they decided to erect these uh, wooden arches lit by gaslights. And because the ga- because the arches looked cool, um, the GAR decided to march the single largest parade of union soldiers since the end of the civil war more than 90,000 veterans so about the same number of people are in the city to begin with um march down high street under these arches and from then for from then on for a few decades um the streetcar companies um what well, are no, the streetcar companies um the first electrified streetcar companies realized that they could use these arches to provide electricity for oh, that's cool, the streetcars, yeah. Though so I would imagine
0: this ran into issues later on. It sounds it like it these did, arches
1: yes. weren't really built to be particularly permanent, right? Initially, not, but they did last until like the it, it lasted until the like 1910, 1911. Like, the biggest hate, the last big heyday was in uh 1909, that is massive festival uh columbus police and the columbus rifles marching band and the old guard from the GRI, the last survivors and but then for whatever reason in 1911 um cluster lights on poles um on clay on city city sky sidewalk sorry i misread that um they said it became more favorable and yeah. by the, 1914 they were mostly gone they're back they got rebuilt in 20, 2002 um, for the historical um, value, but oh, it's sure kind it's of cool. a long <laughs> its just a long period of no arches in between. <laughs> I mean, seriously, okay, guys.
0: But when it's no longer the City of Arches, then what, what's going on there? Like, It seems like there's a lot of kitsch, kind of, but... Oh, like, there's a lot. There's a weird stuff. What's the
1: industry? Yeah, like what's going on? What's going on here? Pretty much as soon as the Arch City era ends... Um, we've got the Great Flood of 1913. So the Great Flood of 1913 has affected like a lot of the U.S. It was a massive flood, and it just hit Columbus real hard. Um, and in the aftermath, they built these massive flood walls. It changed a bit of the, the form of the city t- to an extent, I guess, or the um, structure of it. But then we get into an interesting period where Columbus, Ohio was doing fairly well, especially compared to the collapse of the buggy capital period. They got an economic boom from both of the world wars and the in the Great Depression in between it was fine because they had a diversified economy. Um, so it wasn't so bad. So things were going pretty good for most of that time. What is very interesting about this period is that both the NFL and the Jehovah's Witnesses earned got, uh, chose their modern names in, 20, in 1922 and 1931, respectively, in the city of Columbus, Ohio. So that's two interesting, pretty large, um, symbolically important organizations, I think, the NFL and the Jehovah's Witnesses, wouldn't you say? Is there any interesting connections
0: between those two?
1: Oh, yes, of course, but they are hidden. Well, <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, other than the having the same mother, but... Like any institute more direct institutional connections there?
1: There must be. Are, are you saying that the NFL is a secret front for the Jehovah's Witnesses? Because I I'm saying absolutely that. that. <laughs> there we go. Actually, aren't they or not may- allowed to eat bacon? <laughs> <laughs> or, or maybe At the least. Jehovah's Witnesses are a secret front for the NFL. It, it, well, it's I believe, if
0: I, if I remember correctly, Jehovah's Witnesses can't eat bacon. I think they aren't allowed to eat bacon. pork. Well, but then explain the pigskin. If they aren't allowed to have pork, you can't. You can't. It doesn't say you can't play ball with pig. That's it's not the fair. Bible. I don't know. I think it's in Leviticus somewhere. No Thou football. Thou shalt not play ball with with the swine. Thou shalt not ball the swine. <laughs> with with um, animals with cloven hooves that do not chew the cud. Which, to be fair, if I remember correctly, the mainstream uh, interpretation of that passage is that said description only refers to basketball. So ah yes. Which, yeah, you probably shouldn't play basketball with a pig. Alright, any anything of note in the 20th century, I guess, going on after World War I?
1: Not as much. Uh, I did notice one interesting thing which suggested to me a an urbanomancer plot. Um, there was All reference right. to the interstate highway system. Um, because, like in many other parts of the country, it signaled the arrival of massive suburb development, suburban development in central Ohio. But they had a plan um, to protect their tax base from this suburbanization, they a- adopted a policy of linking water and sewer hookups to annexation to the city, which means by the by the early 1990s, Columbus had grown to become Ohio's largest city in land area and in population because they were just like, ha, we'll just absorb the suburbs, which seems like a good plan from an urbanomancy point of view. Yeah,
0: it seems like after this arch era and this flood, there's not a whole lot of note going on, at
1: least... As far as the entire city goes, right? Well, I found a lot of crazy stories, but, yeah, not much big historical stuff.
0: Yeah, that's that, that's my next question, then. What part of Columbus, Ohio, ties into the sort of shit that our
1: mystic crackpots that listen to this show are into? I've got a few goods, and what we can do is I might cover some of the smaller things first before going into some of the larger stories, just to get a few out of the way. Um, now, one of the things about investigating the occult underground of an individual place, an individual city or an individual town is inevitably you're going to come across a lot of things which are sort of adjacently related but not that interesting in and of themselves Um, and this happens a lot with both researching American towns and cities and also Australian towns and cities in the fact that there's often like bullshit local historical things or bullshit just big like stuff um do you know what i
0: mean like yeah 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 the sort of towns where the city hall doubles as a local museum
1: i'm thinking more along the lines of like sort of bullshit uh roadside attractions it's like i have an example like random pointless artwork so i've got a whole list All here. Right. um then the city of columbus ohio i believe has a a giant praying mantis a giant boot a giant buckeye and when i wrote these notes i wrote down buckeye and i looked at what it meant yeah what and the fuck is what a buckeye it means. and i searched on on google and the first question people also ask what exactly is a buckeye and then can you eat a buckeye it's a small shiny dark brown nut with a light tan patch that comes from the official state tree of ohio the buckeye tree so that's right. kind of important to the state of ohio and they have a giant one a giant buckeye it's sure it looks i mean is that it is like the, just like
0: a legitimate buckeye or is it like a sculpture
1: no, it's just sculpted shaped like one. I believe.
0: Okay, yeah, I'm. I'm imagining, like, you know, a mutant seed here that's like the size of like a bowling ball. That's, that's, what's, like, the, that's, that's what's
1: inside it.
0: That's that's.
1: uh um... All right. So. Oh wait world... a minute! I'm I an idiot. It's a giant buckeye made of chocolate. It's in the Chocol Chocolate Factory. The Anthony Thomas Chocolate Factory gives tours. What the fuck?
0: Okay, so like the world's largest buckeye is a. It's a product. It's a product that they got. There are, there are in fact several world's largest Buckeyes. They have one big one, I think. I think they sell big ones,
1: but they have also okay. one in a case um, that's made out of chocolate and peanut butter. Um, okay, so gotcha. The Buckeye, it appears to be the uh, symbol of Ohio State, um, the team, and it's both
0: an actual nut and also a chocolate treat. Is that? Uh, are you correct on that one?
1: Originally, it's a very important symbolic. element of ohio state which has been turned into chocolate and peanut butter that could be um ritualistic to an extent
0: so well yeah yeah if you're doing any ohio related gutter magic which comes up more than you think then a buckeye is an excellent component to use in such a ritual
1: oh yeah and that's that's also why we need to kind of go over these sort of pointless artworks and like local curiosities because they do have their own importance for the localized zeitgeist. guys. And I should I'm not being overly critical of specifically Columbus, Ohio having these things. Everywhere has these dumb things. It's
0: fine. I mean, I think far as those go, a giant praying mantis is actually pretty rad. Like, good on them for that. Between that and the boot, there's like some powerful food chain and micro symbology there. You know Well,
1: especially considering this is all like resting on a foundation of clay bricks taken from an ancient Adena mound. So, yes. it's, it's gotta have something there. I mean, like, if
0: nothing else, I imagine if you're doing any rituals that v- involve cannibalism, literal or synthetic, uh, doing it near a giant praying mantis, especially if it's also sex magic, that, that's some pretty potent mojo. Like That's a nice thing to have in your pocket if you're in the area. like, oh yeah, I need to do a cannibalistic sex ritual. Also,
1: in more if you're doing it in a more abstract sort of sense, if you're doing it in the form of um, something involving, like, uh, say, the man-eater, not as something literal, but as the figurative sort of archetype, uh, then the, the giant praying mantis would work.
0: That is a good question. Actually, is said praying mantis sculpture a male or a female?
1: Why the hell would you put a male praying mantis in a statue? That's a, I, yeah, that's I, well, asking for trouble, if
0: nothing, <laughs> any, if nothing else.
1: Like That's what you want to put in someone else's city. Like,
0: the implications of a giant praying mantis female in your own city aren't that great. They're just like, oh, this city eats its loved ones. Well, that's not even wrong for Columbus, from what you've said,
1: so... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, it's described on Roadside America as a large green praying mantis, and then, comma, friend to man comma, is poised on Ohio State University's West Campus. Wait, is that the title? Beautiful. The praying mantis, looking at the Ohio State website, uh, Ohio State University website, the praying mantis is named Annabelle. Okay, that's a good praying mantis name. People take sure. pictures in her grasp. It's a good selfie location. I mean, for, as, as far as giant praying mantises go, she's sort of um made of some looks, looks like corrugated metal painted green amongst like some trees and bushes, like kind of fitting in with the landscape in a nice way looking almost naturalistic despite like being made of metal because of the shape of a praying mantis yeah
0: if there were somewhere that i would think like oh yeah this place has giant praying mantises, is just part of its ecosystem it'd probably be
1: like somewhere in ohio yep it is in Natsy the lush green phenology garden and phenology is the study of periodic events in biological life cycles, but the fact it's so similar to phrenology yeah, gives me I'm pause.
0: With... Yeah, <laughs> especially likewise.
1: considering um, the idea of a praying mantis eating like its mate. It's usually like biting its head off. I mean, this. Yes. It's not hard. You could easily just write an R on the sign to Phonology Garden and like do a whole gutter magic ritual involving that. It all comes together.
0: And this is why people listen to us when they need to do a gutter magic ritual in a pinch. It can just be like, oh yeah, they they threw that one out a couple episodes ago. Yeah, that's a good idea. I should put an R on the uh, Phonology Garden.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you're gonna, yeah, these are things that if you're gonna set your game in Columbus, Ohio, there's all these things you can put on the cookboard and we can speculate on what they are. I mean, Columbus, Ohio is the kind of place, because I'm generally, when I'm running a game um, that's not online or not I'm not something specific I'm doing, if I'm just running a generalized kind of UA game set in middle America, I usually choose a city like Columbus, Ohio, you know, lot, not one of like the, the heavy hitter American cities with all the symbology, but you know, something more middle tier, which is not an insult, it's just, you know, like something more in between that I could feel I could play around with more.
0: Yeah, it's more manageable than anything else. LA or San Francisco or New York City or even Chicago, all of those have, like, a ton of baggage. Where you go with Columbus, Ohio, like, I mean, definitely it, like, you know, it has its baggage. For one, the players are a lot less likely to know about it. And two, it means you can kind of play around with it a bit more and feel like when you're filling in those gaps, you aren't at risk of bumping into something else that's, like,
1: actually exactly exactly and also that means you'll get closer to the reality of the un- occult underground in columbus ohio even by chance
0: it's the only way there is to find understanding of that sort of crap that's
1: right by complete chance and coincidence we realize that this entire podcast is just me and Frank attempting a uh, like long-term divination ritual uh, that you all, you guys, all get to listen to. But you're part don't of tell the him! It. No, sh- sh- no sh- it, it's off. fine. No, no, no. The irony, the irony, actually will
0: help. Uh, divination never works when people know you're doing it. That's the
1: them's the rules. That's the kind. That's how it used to work. But now, since the advent of hipsters. And since the advent of self-aware sort of irony, things have changed. This is post-modern magic, my friend. This is how it's done now. This is not the old yeah. school.
0: Well, but then the the other side of that is even when you know the future, like, it doesn't fucking matter. You can't, like, avoid it. It comes at you like a rolling boulder.
1: Yeah, because that's the best thing. Like, there's usually two choices you get. You know the future and you're fucked. Or you know a future and it's only somewhat useful. So, other
0: than interesting... Cannibalistic roadside attractions. What else we got? Oh, we got uh,
1: as I mentioned giant boot, which is giant boot giant Buckeye World's largest gavel. All right, Um, so I'm noticing a lot of giant symbols of authority here Yes What you you count the praying mantis as a giant symbol of authority. Oh, you mean the boot?
0: I mean the other alternative is giant symbols of uh,
1: aggressive female sexuality That's I feel that's pretty authoritative Sure. authoritative no yeah. I don't really associate a
0: gavel with that that's the thing
1: uh, it's different types of authority
0: just a different, yeah. different strokes
1: yeah. and like, much as the as the next symbol which is if you know anything about the uh, occult symbolism of world sport it is a very important authoritarian symbol the world's largest ping pong paddle oh Yeah, that ties directly into a whole bunch of things and it's hanging on a wall next to some ping pong tables in a combination arcade bar <laughs> Oh, how- how- how big is this ping pong paddle? It's 11.5 feet long, which is- Okay. Well, someone could use this as an actual ping pong paddle. Like a large person, a giant wanting to play ping pong in Columbus, Ohio. If you were suddenly giant and you needed to play ping pong, this is where you would go.
0: I mean, that's also arguably a symbol of like BDSM shit, so there you go. Oh, there we go. See, it all links in together.
1: It's all coming together. It's certainly a lot better in BDSM play than a gavel.
0: Well, it depends on how you're using the gavel. Don't- don't- not as a striking implement.
1: We don't kink shame. We don't kink shame.
0: Alright, what else we got? Do you know what the motto of Columbus, Ohio
1: is? The heart of it all. Who? see- see, this is- this is why we- we pay attention to these- 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 these strange- Who well, fucking like, has that as their that, motto? This is why- what's his- what's that, um, what's his face with the plane in Chicago? Fly, uh, was it fly? Fly to heaven. This is why the fly to heaven thing didn't work. He should have done it in Columbus, Ohio. He could have got right to the heart of America. They so had it on the motto, and he failed. Tiss, tis tis. Kenneth Hyatt just puts out all this disinformation about how Chicago is really important, but no, 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 it's Columbus. All right. What else do we have? We have a statue of Arnold Schwarzenegger, which he visits every year. Like, is
0: it the same day? Like, how is he like in a suit? Is he
1: in one of his movie roles? How big is the statue? I have so many questions. It is in his prime, back in his, uh, what's the word for it? Um, his bodybuilding iron days? days. Yeah. Pumping yeah, iron sure. days. Um, he has a special connection with Columbus, Ohio, which hosts the annual Arnold Sports Festival, <laughs> uh, aka the Arnold Classic. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, Arnold Classic is a big, big bodybuilder. That's right. So he, 1970, he went to Columbus to participate in the Mister World, Mister World contest. After winning Mister Universe in London, um, and developed a like a good relationship with the city. Uh, that's good. I mean, that's 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 nice. That's nice. Good for him.
0: Good for him. Yeah. Nice.
1: Yes. So and Arnold Schwarzenegger, even though he's alive, um, and I hope he, I, I hope he lives for a long time because he's kind of cool. Even though I don't agree with him on many things, but he is also a Target for future iconomancers, of course. Um, he, when he finally um, has to live vistas, he will be quite the potent symbol. Fuck off. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I mean, well, and if nothing else,
0: Schwarzenegger has portrayed a lot of uh, archetypes in his time. I remember hearing at one point that he was in the running to send as the self made man, but that became a whole thing with Alex Abel and all that. And just...
1: There was an old conspiracy theory I really liked. It's no longer culturally or re- irrelevant, but it made more sense about 10 years ago. And the conspiracy theory was that they were trying to like, pump up arnold as like the governor for a future presidential run which would require changes to the constitution uh to allow you know a non-american born uh, person to become the american president but the conspiracy was that he was just the trojan horse for rupert murdoch
0: interesting Hmm. i like that doesn't even work out because like little does the public know because the liberal media has been trying to suppress it. we really had a foreign president Grover Cleveland.
1: I think I've heard of this. Who, where was he born?
0: Uh, I believe it was Botswana. I know, I've heard competing theories on this.
1: Botswana? Wait, wait. Who was in the Botswana when Grover... Why are you talking... Okay, okay, I, I see what you're doing.
0: Well, yes, at the, at the time it would have been called... Uh, excuse me, uh, Bakuanaland. That's when it was, uh, colonized by the British.
1: I see, I see. So, uh, I... So this... I, I, I see what you're doing. I see what you're doing. Alright. It was Grover Cleveland, um... Give a, show us the birth certificate, Grover. The first African president. As soon as I say, "Show us the birth certificate, Grover," I start imagining Grover from Sesame Street being a birther, and it 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 amuses me.
0: I mean, I don't think Grover is American-born. Um, I mean, his race, I'm pretty sure, is what you would call it. That's
1: true. That's true. What you would call American.
0: I mean. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and frankly, he should be able to be
1: president just as much as anyone. Of course, of course. It wouldn't be him though. It'll be fucking um. It'll be Elmo, but I mean, Elmo running as a Republican. It
0: really is Elmo's world, and we're just living in it. <laughs> oh God! Oh God!
1: A brass band <laughs> playing. The... I can just imagine because like the whole marching music that's popular with like American civil religion is like. when I can imagine like? And everyone just yes, I got it. It's it's a That's horrible, what he's gonna dystopia. be seeing
0: as his big fuzzy red finger hovers over the nuclear button.
1: <laughs> no, he's he's riding, oh, he's world. riding. No, he's <laughs> riding the fucking nuke down like it fucking like, um
0: <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <The slim take. laughs> oh, if
0: this is Elmo's
1: oh. world. It's nobody's <laughs> world. That's the campaign right there. I'm right, sure that okay. but it's for something. All right, now I'm, now I'm well distracted.
0: Yeah, we've fallen a bit on tra- off track here. Columbus, Ohio. What else? What else other than the Schwarzenegger statue?
1: Speaking of um, somewhat forgotten presidents, but not entirely, uh, there's a statue of President McKinley in Columbus, Ohio, because he was, of course, the governor of Ohio. And the statue is it's called the william mckinley monument and it is built on the spot where after leaving his house to go to work he would turn to wave at his wife his beloved wife oh that's sweet so it's nice yes it's uh is a statue with him waving and all that i mean it's supposed to be but it's not well, I think there's multiple statues, but one, one at least one of them hasn't waving. Uh, at least this is the story I found when I first made these notes, and now I can't find it again. So, anyway, it, it's true because I found it once.
0: Source, trust me.
1: The fact that I can't
0: find the source just proves my point. This was revealed to me in a dream once. <laughs> that's right. It's exactly right. Okay, that's that's a that's a that's a way better source than most of the shit you're gonna be getting out of. Uh... Yeah, don't have any sort of uh, thesis paper and like that—that's where you know the real shit is. All right. Uh, other than cool historical statues, any uh, other landmarks about, or any occult uh, activity? There
1: is the unknown scout. Um, This—is this a grave? I hope not. No, it is oh, a okay. story. It is the legend behind the founding of the Boy Scouts of America. Um, the scouts. So now. the Boy Sc- Just the scouts. The scouts. I'm okay, yes, aware, I'm aware. But they were founded the original, uh the Boy Scouts were, well they there were always the scouts here.
0: Well yeah, and now and now the Girl Scouts are the ones that are like being really uh antsy about not letting men in.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't remember when uh because I was in the now, scouts they're the as a kid. Yeah. I was in the scouts, but like scouts outside of like America there was no like at the time back in the eighteen forties, which was before no, no. Yeah, there was no dis- gender distinction then, or, like, division. Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts always sound to me very American. Well, what,
0: I mean, yeah, what is more American than unnecessary gender
1: segregation? What's more American than that? I mean, I just think that Scout cookies doesn't sound as... I mean, what are Scout cookies?
0: Yeah, but that's, like, that's the whole thing. Like, the the Girl Scout cookie, uh, cookie money, uh, that's, that's very corrupt from what I've heard, and... Boy scouts we we sell fucking popcorn. Like, it, was it, was Boy not... it
1: was Boy Scout. Popcorn. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like caramel
0: corn and che- like cheddar corn and that sort of crap. On these like on these like tins with like American naturalist art like paintings on the side, like you know, snowy cabins, Bob Ross sort of shit, right? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. All right, so the unknown scouts and he was a Boy Scout. It was a Boy Scout, apparently. It wasn't, like, a military scout, yeah?
1: It was, because I believe that, like, the scouting tradition um, came from the UK, not from uh, yes, the West originally. Yes, yes, that is yes. Correct, correct. So the man who founded the Boy Scouts of America, uh, William D. Boyce, he was a Chicago publisher. And this, the legend has it that uh, Boyce was in London in, uh, the, year ni- in the fall of 1909 and he went out looking for an office that he needed to go to, but he became lost in the London fog. And wandering around just an American lost in London fog is is already a fun mental image, uh, especially in in like the 1900s. But at his wit's end, he approached a young man and asked for directions and uh, not only did the youth show him how to get there, but he led him through the fog to make sure the American found his way without becoming lost again. Boys, to show his gratitude, get offered the boy a tip, but he would not accept it. And when asked why, the young man told him he was a Boy Scout, and taking a tip would negate the good deed he had done and violate his Scouting Code. And that became the founding myth of the Boy Scouts of America, which is interesting some various Oh, ways. a
0: statue dedicated to that has some powerful guide mojo. This is a plaque, which is almost... I mean, a plaque is sometimes even better. <laughs> like, <laughs> plaques are weird. Plaque, anything, like, that is... That's a guide godwalker right there, if I've ever heard one.
1: It's another, like, important American institution that has a connection to Columbus, Ohio. Along with the, N- um, the NFL and the Jehovah's Witnesses, we have the Boy Scouts having a connection here. And Boy Scouts, because
0: of that whole military thing... There is, that's, that's some pretty uh, important stuff for America, actually. I believe it's if you're an Eagle Scout, you immediately, upon enlisting, uh, get uh, put into officer school, you know, after, like, you immediately qualify as an officer if you're an Eagle Scout.
1: That's, that's, I, it, again, this is something i just going to believe? Oh, apparently that's a myth, never mind. Um,
0: so it's true. Um, you kind of get put on the fast track, but it's not like you instantly get, Okay, it's more just like I guess uh overlapping like eligibility things.
1: I think I think you're I think you were right the first time but you were talking about the uh in the uh public face of uh things, not so much, but in the in the secret officer corps. Um it goes y- that way.
0: Yeah, it's not like you immediately qualify but you get put on the fast track and you apparently can graduate boot camp as E two or E three instead of the default of E one. I don't know what the fuck that means. And this is only for the military, mind you. I'm not sure to what degree those arrangements are set up with other branches.
1: If there was going to be a secret organization in charge of the U.S. government, it should be the Eagle Scouts. Oh, right? absolutely. I mean, how many presidents
0: have been Eagle Scouts, Tormson? Think about it.
1: <laughs> that's right. Everyone just thinks about the Scarlet and bones. That's just a, that's, a, that's a distraction. That's a yeah. smokescreen for
0: the Eagle Scouts. All those guys who entered there, most of them were already the Eagle Scouts. And the
1: ones who weren't, they don't really get ahead very much. Well, this is why the um the whole thing about joining the scouts together has come up so importantly, because that's the only reason Hillary lost. Mm. Yeah, the Girl Scouts don't got the Eagle Scout. Yeah, and that's not that's not really fair if it's not that symbology going on, you know? I mean it's not like she was just unpopular or anything. Oh, um never mind. Um
0: The motto be one- prepared it takes on a much more sinister character <laughs> when you have the uh Secret Eagle Scout cabal in behind, doesn't it? Looking through
1: an an original like Eagle Scouts thing, it's like where we where we go one, we go all, what the fuck? Um <laughs> <laughs> fuck.
0: Of course.
1: Okay, but yeah, where uh what was next? Oh, I was just gonna mention, uh, before we move on, um yeah. I'm getting some more good good juiciness from roadsideamerica.com. Just the descriptions of things amuse me. And it's got here, um, all about the unknown, uh, Boy Scout, uh, plaque, if you prefer. Um, all hail the Boy Scout, so exemplary, yet so obscure that no one seems to remember his name. His timber hitches have unraveled, his Dutch oven is rusted to powder, and all, and the old ladies he helped across the street are all dead.
0: All right, that's interesting. You ever think that, like, I mean, you said the guy who, uh, created the organization's name was Boyce, right? That's right. You ever think that he didn't like intend to gender it at all, and they're just like, "Oh yeah, they're the, the Boy, Boy Scouts. S- Scouts." Oh, and, and then like he immediately Scouts. died, and they're like, "Oh yeah, Boy Scouts, obviously, male-only organization." Hmm. I know this. This seems like a rabbit hole. I
1: mean, we don't want to go down to the Boy Scouts rabbit hole. Scouting
0: is absolutely a rabbit hole. That is that is a long and surprisingly uh, complex and conspiratorial organization to look into. And we've yeah. if we're trying to cover Columbus, Ohio, we do not have the space to cover the Boy Scouts as well. That is, uh, we are not equipped to go into that dark territory right now. I say that without irony. Like there, there's some shit I've heard from that. Alright,
1: what else we got in Columbus? Um, there is a large statue of King Gambrinus, a legendary Flemish king believed to be the inventor of beer, uh, sitting outside the Gambrinus Brewery in Columbus, Ohio. Okay, so we just had. There's a lot of strange statues
0: there. Interesting.
1: There's a story that. Um, The Flemish King Gambrinus learned how to brew from the Egyptian gods Isis and Osiris. What's all this Tim Powers stuff coming in here? I mean,
0: that's about right. Yeah, that sounds about right. He sold his soul to the devil to become the first mortal brewer, then outdrank the devil when he came to collect. I like this guy. This is absolutely some Tim Powers bullshit. So, even though he's Flemish, just (laughs) the Egyptian gods show up for some reason? Nice.
1: Gam- I mean, of course they do. Of course they do, and that's Tim Powers. It being Flemish is already Tim Powers enough. It's just yeah. taking that Tim Powers Flemishness and putting it in Columbus, Ohio. It's what gives the the UA touch. The Gambrinas Brewery in Columbus was founded by in 1906 by a German immigrant August Wagner. Uh, the land was in business. The the brewery was in business in not until 1974. And the land was sold and the breweries were demolished, but the king's statue was preserved and now stands in a small park. Hmm, over twelve feet tall. Holding a That's goblet impressive. up to the sky. I mean As you should be. Again, another really I mean dipsomances out oh, yeah. of everything, right here. I mean, I'm surprised he still obviously. has that
0: goblet. That that seems like a very uh, very good dipsomancy vessel to
1: Nab. Very yeah. powerful one. Uh, he was named the patron saint of brew- beer and brewing, but he didn't, Is he an actual he didn't saint? actually exist. No, because it, he didn't okay. actually exist, according to the uh, official Okay, record. but there's, <laughs> there
0: are saints that are kind of like, maybe maybe they didn't exist, we don't really know. I mean, if he's getting his powers of brewery from... Egyptian gods and also the devil then I'm not sure of him being canonized as a saint is the best approach but
1: I wonder if we went first to the Egyptian gods and then to the devil and the devil's like what the fuck went to them first sure, went to Isis why not. first And Osiris but yeah again that's that's again okay, it's just a little like, rose and attraction but huge symbolic value what's that like
0: conversation like right like what is like was he did he just like go up to various like powerful deities and be like hey can you do me a solid here because it's like he has a conception of what beer is, right? Or is he just like, I want to be able to turn hops alcoholic? I mean, Dibs of Mantis stumbling through the Astral
1: Plane bumping into all sorts of people.
0: No, that's that's very fair, actually. But yeah, if you're assuming he's already drunk and just looking for way straight new, hitherto
1: unknown types of alcohol, that explains a lot. There are a couple of weird things. Uh, other, other more things that are at, um along with the Praying Mantis, that are also at the Ohio State University, uh, and most universities, I have like weird shit, and it's not that meant to be that use interesting. But there's a couple of things that just tickle my my interest. There is a an area of Ohio State University called the Garden of Constants, uh, which has all these sculptures of numbers, which are meant to be very important constant numbers, and also 50 individual formulas cast in blonde in bronze and embedded into the pavement.
0: That's fucking weird. Are these, like, whole num- Well, no, I assume they're constants, they aren't just whole numbers, right? So it's, like-
1: What, it's just 1, 2, 3, 5, 6, six. I don't know what the-, the how it works here. I'm okay, sure I
0: guess- Does- Well, okay, did you say 5, 6? Uh, I can see a 6, yeah. Okay, so it's uh, not like they're prime wait, no, or I,
1: anything. No, I can see 1, 2, 3, 5, 6, and 7. I can't see any That's... more.
0: And zero. So no four. That's... Alright. That's an interesting exclusion.
1: Not sure what the purpose is. Oh, because I'm not a math wizard. Um, either literally or abstractly. So I don't know. Their math, math wizardry is is weird. And I'm not like... This isn't the laundry. Yeah, four is a weird exclusion there. Not sure what the fuck was the,
0: uh... Magical aim there. Probably some. I mean, any place where you're just kind of throwing formulae and, a you know, constants indiscriminately is that, that's some powerful stuff. Just ask Pythagoras. I
1: oh, know. I think there is. No, it looks like there is a four, but I just do not know the pictures because it's, it says that there are ten large number sculptures, and okay. then equations. So it must be a four, unless because there's a zero. So unless there's another number that's not between zero and nine, there has to be a four. There's just no pictures of it. Why so not? it's just like it's just like
0: the ten digits. The 10 I digits guess so. of the Arabic numerals. All right, fair enough. I, I, um, which is fair. It's still strange, which is, but...
1: Which by itself would be nothing much, but the fact that they've all had all these... Um, the equations and formulas in the pavement yeah. make this interesting. Like it's the, um, the Hollywood Walk of Fame, but for formulas. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, it's outside the College of
0: Engineering, so... That's for just some kid with very rich donor parents
1: was trying to come up with a very creative way to cheat on a test. Ha ha ha! This is when you're doing the uh, second edition style unnatural phenomenon thing where it's like, ah, oh, it's not yeah. magic, it's actually some weird explanation. Yep, I like it. This is, that's a good uh, segue into another weird thing about the OSU, um, which is the ghostly handprint, which also keeps reappearing in, what is there, Hopkins Hall. Um, now the story of the handprint is that there was a female student who was pulling an all-nighter, as you do. It's one of the campus art buildings. Um, she was trying to complete a final project. Um, and she finished, put the finishing touches uh, on the, like the middle of the night. And she entered the elevator to try to leave Hopkins Hall. But she ended up getting stuck in there, in the elevator all night where she screamed and cried and got no no response and they found her in the morning in the elevator with no physical damage but driven utterly mad and the inside of the elevator was covered in handprints of the frantic student trying to escape this story is it sounds like a japanese urban legend i'm like what is doing it all do hours to go mad <laughs> <laughs> well that means there's got to be something more that's to nothing. this that's nothing yeah yeah sure but <laughs> I mean, being stuck in an elevator isn't going to drive anyone mad.
0: Not even someone from Ohio. Those Ohioans going mad too easily. I think, yeah, that's that store There's more to the story. That's more to the story. Yeah. Well, that Must I be. mean, if you want the mundane explanation, it would be like we've all worked on final products before, and suddenly be like, all right, yeah. no, you can't, uh, you can't <laughs> work on that now. But no, nah, yeah, something definitely happened in that elevator. That, something's up there. So yeah, ever since then, there's just a handprint that's been showing up.
1: Yeah, um, because, but it's not showing up in the elevator. It shows up uh, outside the main entrance, this single black handprint that legend says can't be scrubbed off, but they, um, they do scrub it off, but it just reappears. And The mundane explanation is just pranksters with a stencil and spray paint, but come on. Sure. Come on. It has to be... They're I mean, not even there, just someone dips their hands in black paint. I mean, it sounds to me like, based on that story, it sounds to me like she did something to finish that project, something that was this, she shouldn't have done, something magical, something occult. No, here's the idea, it's a performance
0: piece. Her final project is just doing the same piece of graffiti over and over again for
1: decades. Here is my piece going it's, it's mad in an elevator specific. after eight hours. <laughs> That's the title, by <laughs> the way. Yep. Yeah. I'd I, 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 I no, I'd give that a good mark if I was the, the art professor. Oh, I like it. I like it. There's lots of things you could
0: do with that. Okay, so there's all these landmarks that are interesting. Are there any other ones with like particular potent symbolic resonance?
1: Yes, there is actually. Um, now, this is another very authoritarian figure, someone who tells you, in a in some ways, it's another way of saying you did it, but it's more of a it's a future sort of thing. Um, he says that you can do it. He says that y- only you can prevent forest fires. Oh, because no. Because there is a Smokey. giant anim... Yep, there's a large animatronic Smokey the Bear. Um, oh, God. He, yeah, he was made his home at the Ohio State Fair in 1959 in Columbus, uh, 15 years after being introduced. Didn't know he was that old, but Smokey the Bear dates back to 1944. Oh, I've been th- uh, I've been fighting with Smokey for a long, long time. Okay, the animatronic version, which was built in 2015, is 14 feet tall, so two Mm. feet taller than Gambrinus. This is already interesting. What is going on here? Mm. Why would they need to build this animatronic smokey-the-bear to control Gambrinus? What is he up to? Mm. Forest fires, obviously.
0: Which, (laughs) I mean, forest fires are in fact very important. As we've found out since then, no thanks to the uh, disinformation operations perpetuated by Big Smokey, the regular forest fires are a important and crucial part of any sort of healthy forest ecosystem. You know, you need it to spread seeds in a lot of cases, to make sure uh, new ground cover is cycled out every so often, because yeah. then that way when you have those regular smaller forest fires, there isn't huge ones like we've been having all across the West Coast for the past... Decade or so. Smokey knew exactly what he was doing when he was advocating for that.
1: Here's an idea. This is just some speculation. Um, Perhaps the character of Smokey the Bear isn't completely fictional. Perhaps the character of Smokey the Bear. Of course, but I'm thinking specifically of the 1944 invention of the character. That was 11 years after the end of Prohibition. Now imagine a Prohibition agent who's also a bear. Um, Having to fight the cult of King Cambrinus, who is a bootlegger, who are a bunch of bootleggers who occasionally cause forest fires with their bootlegging activity. There we go, we have a campaign right there. The original Smokey the Bear. Your guess is as good as
0: mine. The best I was able to find is I think he was involved in Operation Paperclip. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But. That's true. Even that was kind of spotty. Well,
1: if you've seen the secret, like the suppressed video of when they killed Osama bin Laden, he is wearing the hat and the jean, so this might be a connection there. I'm pondering
0: Mysteries right and now. mysteries. A lot, of, a lot of things are suddenly falling into place. I need to research this further. Other than bringing mention of my eternal ursine foe into this hallowed uh, recording studio, what else do you got? There
1: was, I'm not sure if it's still around, but there is something a large uh, art installation that uh was or still is in Columbus called As We Are, which is advertised as the ultimate selfie machine. And it is this basically you sit in this little room um with all these cameras around it, right? Um around you and it takes a picture of all your head, right? Like every mm-hmm. ac- angle of your head. And then it puts it in, and it's got this, it's this large sculpture which is covered in, like, uh, screens, like, uh, and it will just, it, like, um, basically cycles through various people who've gone in there and had their pictures taken by so the... So it's the Human Eternal. <laughs> it's the Human Eternal. <laughs> it, it, it kind of is. it's, it's, it's apparently it has, it has fixed proportions because it's the sculpture, but it has the 3D scans of over 5,000 people. Uh, described as a collective democratic head because everyone's face has to be squished, squished, stretched, and squished to fit the form. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Well, and when was this installed? When was this installed too? Was it after 03? It was open to the public in 2017. So it's relative in oh, the okay. uh city's yeah, new recent, convention recent. in the convention center. 14 feet tall. Like so, same size as Snoke the bear. Still taller than old um Gabrina's. There's lots of big things in this town. This is a War of Idols we're dealing with here. It's a War of Idols, yeah, definitely a yeah. War of Idols. Now, what really gets me is that um, <laughs> the person who invented it, uh, whose name is uh, Matthew Moore, is uh, when he's describing how he came up with the idea of it, he says that he, in, tw- in 2002, while creating a, f- a profile on Friendster, asked himself if it was a smart idea to put every- himself out there for everyone to see. But then that got him on the on the path on thinking, which eventually oh, shit, led this to. This took him like fifteen years. <laughs> wow. Well, that, that was the nucleus of the inspiration. Yeah, okay? Yeah, yeah. okay. It took a while. Okay. Uh, that's that's cool. why. That's like it's like when you have an idea and you like maybe you look back on it and you say like where did that come from and you 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 know it's, things come things yeah, take a while yeah, yeah, to yeah.
0: percolate. You know? Well, and installation art does take a while to get like you know everyone just complains about like oh this is ugly and it's the center of town yeah yeah no this ugly took like 10 years to gestate oh yeah right there's was, there was a lot of time and effort that went into this ugly and in this yeah. case i mean may not the human eternal but the columbus ohio eternal there's some power there i'm sure okay so this
1: has got it's got 80 850,000 LEDs uh which displays a, a person's head like one of the uh 3D scans uh, which rains for about 30 to 45 seconds. Now, I had a lot of ideas about this. I'm like, if you want to contact commune with the spirit of someone who's dead, but their 3D scan is or is still in the system, they're not going to take oh, them maybe. out automatically when someone dies necessarily. They probably will take them out if they get word, but there would be a time when someone is in the system, they're dead, but they get displayed still, like every now and then, according to the the algorithm, which is designed to like uh, give as much diversity as possible, which is good. But it would be an interesting sort of thing for a cabal to sort of like lie in wait at the convention center for a particular face to appear so they can do a very particular ritual in order to get some information or summon the spirit, uh, the revenant or the demon of the person. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I, I bet you that the...
0: These pictures go back further than you might think, too. Like, if you wait there long enough and at the right time of night, <laughs> you start seeing, like, old French fur trappers show up in the photos. Yeah. Uh, old Native American tribes from the area.
1: Oh, yeah. It's, um, it's not the photos. It's, it's not just the photos. It's the whole head. There's all these head yep. of people. And, yeah. And how would you tell? How would you know that, that you'd have to know who you were waiting for? Yeah, that makes sense. Well, that's also, like, I mean,. The, the fun solution, like, the
0: fun thing to do with this sort of thing is just show up to it in a bunch of crazy costumes. That
1: is good. You're waiting. The, the costumes help, especially if they're going to give, like, the you want to evoke someone. It's definitely probably someone who appears at 3.33 in the morning. Um, oh, yeah. That's the most logical time. But I'm just thinking that if the great mystery of Colu- of a Columbus campaign was... Who controls Columbus? Who was buried in the mound? The spirit of the Adena noble or chief or whatever who has, like, through the bricks, con- like, gained control of Columbus. And um, so it's, it's again, as we uh, pointed out, it's not just about, like, the standard, like, Native American Indian burial ground revenge. It's about specifically yeah. that guy. Like... Maybe he appears. I mean, it's probably not even
0: revenge. That mound was set up with the specific purpose of him extending his life. Memory. Yeah, memory, yeah. His, not just his memory, his life, too, into perpetuity. He saw what was coming. He knew what those bricks would be used for. And he was preparing himself. He was preparing his consciousness to be spread out in across the entire... City of Columbus, and that chief's name was
1: columbo I <laughs> know, yes, I know. Mean, that that would actually make a lot of sense because, from the point of view of someone uh, like a powerful wizard among the ancient Adena, like for him the idea like for someone who's a wizard or like a sort like a powerful magical user in, say, the 1500s among the Native Americans, like Europeans coming and fucking everyone over is a, a big deal, but if someone is in like two thousand years earlier among the Adena and learns that oh yeah, in two thousand years some people are going to come across the sea and fuck everyone up, you, you're still kind of be kind of like a bit separated from it because it's oh, not yeah. really your people. It's like oh yeah, that happened, that will happen later, but they're not really the Adena then anymore. They came from New York or migrated in from wherever. So who cares, sort of thing. It's it's different. It's it's. It's like if a, an ancient Roman uh, finds out about the American Civil War. He's just like, so what? Or like I don't World War II. You Whatever. Know? <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> no, yeah, yeah, yeah. This Mussolini guy sounds like a jackass. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Like, you know, the Adena have <laughs> as much investment in, you know, like, white Europeans as they do the Iroquois. Those two groups are as closely related to the Adena as each other. Is my point. Like, they, they aren't investing in this at all. This guy just well, wanted yeah, immortality. And and how immortality generally is, it's like, all right, you either get to keep your consciousness or your body. Yeah, and most people going for this shit try to do both, and that means they're only stuck with the body. But if he's like, no, nah, I'm fine with the consciousness, it's like, all right, yeah, just know it's going to be spread across all these bricks. Warn you, buddy. That's all right. I mean, hell, it may not just be one guy. Each of these statues has a different
1: spirit inhabiting it. it he's playing the long game. I mean, he 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 probably has watched like various occult underground forces rise and fall in Columbus, Ohio, and he's been playing the long game for over two thousand years. I mean, who knows what he's up to?
0: And maybe the selfie maybe the selfie statue is actually like an attempt to consolidate all these differing entities in the statues into one sort of unity. Yeah. Exactly. It might just be because, like, okay, this is a city like any other. Of course, there's going to be a lot of statues, but these are some kind of weird and interesting statues you're bringing up. So I do think there is something to be had
1: there. So yeah, it wasn't that wasn't as much. I thought we were going to go through it pretty quickly, but we didn't really. There was a lot. There was a lot to talk about then. Anything else to note? Well, a lot of things, but.